Section 9 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Baker. Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton. The Boy and the Lynx. Chapter 3 The Home of the Lynx. At first Thor, being town-bred, was timid about venturing into the woods beyond the sound of Corny's axe. But day by day he went farther, guiding himself not by unreliable moss on trees, but by sun, compass, and landscape features. His purpose was to learn about the wild animals rather than to kill them. But the naturalist is close kin to the sportsman, and the gun was his constant companion. In the clearing, the only animal of any size was a fat woodchuck. It had a hole under a stump some hundred yards from the shanty. On Sunday mornings it used to lie basking on the stump, but eternal vigilance is the pride of every good thing in the woods. The woodchuck was always alert, and Thor tried in vain to shoot or even to trap him. "'Here,' said Corney one morning, "'time we had some fresh meat.' He took down his rifle, an old-fashioned brass-mounted small-bore, and loaded with care that showed the true rifleman. He steadied the weapon against the door-jam and fired. The woodchuck fell backward and lay still. Thor raced to the place and returned in triumph with the animal, shouting, "'Plumb through the head!' one hundred and twenty yards corney controlled the gratified smile that wrestled with the corners of his mouth but his bright eyes shone a trifle brighter for the moment it was no mere killing for killing's sake for the woodchuck was spreading a belt of destruction in the crop around his den its flesh supplied the family with more than one good meal and corney showed thor how to use the skin First, the pelt was wrapped in hardwood ashes for twenty-four hours. This brought the hair off. Then the skin was soaked for three days in soft soap and worked by hand as it dried, till it came out a white, strong leather. Thor's wanderings extended farther in search of the things which always came as surprises, however much he was looking for them. Many days were blanks, and others would be crowded with incidents, for unexpectedness is above all the peculiar feature of hunting, and its lasting charm. One day he had gone far beyond the ridge in a new direction, and passed through an open glade where lay the broken trunk of a huge basswood. The size impressed it on his memory. He swung past the glade to make for the lake, a mile to the west, and twenty minutes later he started back as his eyes rested on a huge black animal in the crotch of a hemlock, some thirty feet from the ground. A bear! At last! This was the test of nerve he had half expected all summer, had been wondering how that mystery himself would act under this very trial. He stood still, his right hand dived into his pocket and, bringing out three or four buckshot, which he carried for emergency, dropped them on top of the birdshot already in the gun. 
then rammed a wad to hold them down. The bear had not moved, and the boy could not see its head, but now he studied it carefully. It was not such a large one. No, it was a small one. Yes, very small. A cub. A cub? That meant a mother bear at hand, and Thor looked about with some fear. But seeing no signs of any except the little one, he leveled the gun and fired. Then, to his surprise, down crashed the animal quite dead. It was not a bear, but a large porcupine. As it lay there, he examined it with wonder and regret, for he had no wish to kill such a harmless creature. On its grotesque face he found two or three long scratches, which proved that he had not been its only enemy. As he turned away, he noticed some blood on his trousers, then saw that his left hand was bleeding. He had wounded himself quite severely on the quills of the animal without knowing it. He was sorry to leave the specimen there, and Lou, when she learned of it, said it was a shame not to skin it when she needed a fur-lined cape for the winter. On another day Thor had gone without a gun, as he meant only to gather some curious plants he had seen. They were close to the clearing. He knew the place by a fallen elm. As he came to it he heard a peculiar sound. Then, on the log, his eye caught two moving things. He lifted a bow and got a clear view. They were the head and tail of an enormous lynx. It had seen him and was glaring and grumbling, and under its foot on the log was a white bird that a second glance showed to be one of their own precious hens. How fierce and cruel the brute looked! How Thor hated it, and fairly gnashed his teeth with disgust that now, when his greatest chance was come, he for once was without his gun. He was in not a little fear, too, and stood wondering what to do. The lynx growled louder, its stumpy tail twitched viciously for a minute. Then it picked up its victim, and leaping from the log was lost to view. As it was a very rainy summer, the ground was soft everywhere, and the young hunter was led to follow tracks that would have despised an expert in drier times. One day he came on pig-like footprints in the woods. He followed them with little difficulty, for they were new and a heavy rain two hours before had washed out all other trails. After about half a mile they led him to an open ravine, and as he reached its brow he saw across it a flash of white. Then his keen young eyes made out the forms of a deer and a spotted fawn gazing at him curiously. Though on their trail he was not a little startled. He gazed at them open-mouthed. The mother turned and raised the danger flag, her white tail, and bounded lightly away to be followed by the youngster, clearing low branches with an effortless leap, or bending down with cat-like suppleness when they came to a log upraised so that they might pass below. He never got a chance to shoot at them, though more than once he saw the same two tracks, or believed they were the same, as, for some cause never yet explained, deer were scarcer in that unbroken forest than they were in later years when clearings spread around. He never again saw them, 
but he saw the mother once. He thought it was the same. She was searching the woods with her nose, trying the ground for trails. She was nervous and anxious, evidently seeking. Thor remembered a trick that Corney had told him. He gently stooped, took up a broad blade of grass, laid it between the edges of his thumbs. Then, blowing through this simple squeaker, he made a short, shrill bleat, a fair imitation of a fawn's cry for the mother, and the deer, though a long way off, came bounding toward him. He snatched his gun, meaning to kill her, but the movement caught her eye. She stopped. Her mane bristled a little. She sniffed and looked inquiringly at him. Her big, soft eyes touched his heart, held back his hand. She took a cautious step nearer, got a full whiff of her mortal enemy, bounded behind a big tree and away before his merciful impulse was gone. "'Poor thing,' said Thor. "'I believe she has lost her little one.' Yet once more the boy met a lynx in the woods. Half an hour after seeing the lonely deer, he crossed the long ridge that lay some miles north of the shanty. He had passed the glade where the great basswood lay when a creature like a big bob-tailed kitten appeared and looked innocently at him. His gun went up as usual, but the kitten merely cocked its head on one side and fearlessly surveyed him. Then a second one that he had not noticed before began to play with the first, pawing at its tail and inviting its brother to tussle. Thor's first thought to shoot was stayed as he watched their gambols, but the remembrance of his feud with their race came back. He had almost raised the gun when a fierce rumble close at hand gave him a start, and there, not ten feet from him, stood the old one, looking big and fierce as a tigress. It was surely folly to shoot the young ones now. The boy nervously dropped some buckshot on the charge, while the snarling growl rose and fell. But before he was ready to shoot at her, the old one had picked up something that was by her feet. The boy got a glimpse of rich brown and white spots, the limp form of a newly killed fawn. Then she passed out of sight. The kittens followed, and he saw her no more until the time when, life against life, they were weighed in the balance together. CHAPTER Four, THE TERROR OF THE WOODS Six weeks had passed in daily routine when one day the young giant seemed unusually quiet as he went about. His handsome face was very sober, and he sang not at all that morning. He and Thor slept on a hay-bunk in one corner of the main room, and that night the boy awakened more than once to hear his companion groaning and tossing in his sleep. Corney arose as usual in the morning and fed the horses, but lay down again while the sisters got breakfast. He roused himself by an effort and went back to work, but came home early. He was trembling from head to foot. It was hot summer weather, but he could not be kept warm. After several hours a reaction set in, and Corney was in a high fever. The family knew well now that he had the dreaded chills and fever of the backwoods. Margaret went out and gathered a handful of Pipsisawa to make tea, of which Corney was encouraged to drink copiously. 
but in spite of all their herbs and nursing, the young man got worse. At the end of ten days he was greatly reduced in flesh and incapable of work. So on one of the well days that are usual in the course of the disease, he said, Say, girls, I can't stand it no longer. Guess I better go home. I'm well enough to drive today, for a while anyway. If I'm took down, I'll lay in the wagon, and the horses will fetch me home. Mother'll have me all right in a week or so. If you run out of grub before I come back, take the canoe to Ellerton's. So the girls fastened the horses. The wagon was partly filled with hay, and Corny, weak and white-faced, drove away on the long rough road and left them feeling much as though they were on a desert island and their only boat had been taken from them. Half a week had scarcely gone before all three of them, Margat, Lou, and Thor, were taken down with a yet more virulent form of chills and fever. Corney had had every other a well day, but with these three there were no well days, and the house became an abode of misery. Seven days passed, and now Margat could not leave her bed, and Lou was barely able to walk around the house. She was a brave girl with a fund of drollery which did much towards keeping up all their spirits, but her merriest jokes fell ghastly from her wan, pinched face. Thor, though weak and ill, was the strongest, and did for the others, cooking and serving each day a simple meal, for they could eat very little. Fortunately, perhaps, as there was very little, and Corney could not return for another week, soon Thor was the only one able to rise, and one morning, when he dragged himself to cut the little usual slice of their treasured bacon, he found, to his horror, that the whole piece was gone. It had been stolen, doubtless, by some wild animal from the little box on the shady side of the house where it was kept safe from flies. Now they were down to flour and tea. He was in despair when his eye lighted on the chickens about the stable. But what's the use? In his feeble state he might as well try to catch a deer or a hawk. Suddenly he remembered his gun, and very soon was preparing a fat hen for the pot. He boiled it whole as the easiest way to cook it, and the broth was the first really tempting food they had had for some time. They kept alive for three wretched days on that chicken, and when it was finished, Thor again took down his gun. It seemed a much heavier gun now. He crawled to the barn, but he was so weak and shaky that he missed several times before he brought down a fowl. Corney had taken the rifle away with him, and three charges of gun ammunition were all that now remained. Thor was surprised to see how few hens there were now, only three or four. There used to be over a dozen. Three days later he made another raid. He saw but one hen, and he used up his last ammunition to get that. His daily routine now was a monotony of horror. In the morning, which was his well time, he prepared a little food for the household, and got ready for the night of raging fever by putting a bucket of water on a block at the head of each bunk. About one o'clock 
with fearful regularity the chills would come on with trembling from head to foot and chattering teeth and cold cold within and without nothing seemed to give any warmth the fire seemed to have lost its power there was nothing to do but to lie and shake and suffer all the slow torture of freezing to death and shaking to pieces for six hours it would keep up then to the torture nausea lent its horrid aid throughout then about seven or eight o'clock in the evening a change would come a burning fever set in no ice would have seemed cool to him then water water was all he craved and drank and drank until three or four in the morning when the fever would abate and a sleep of total exhaustion followed if you run out of food take the canoe to ellerton's was the brother's last word who was to take the canoe there was but half a chicken now between them and starvation and no sign of corny for three interminable weeks the deadly program dragged along it went on the same yet worse as the sufferers grew weaker a few days more and the boy also would be unable to leave his couch then what despair was on the house and the silent cry of each was oh god will corny never come chapter five the home of the boy on the day of that last chicken thor was all morning carrying water enough for the coming three fevers the chill attacked him sooner than it was due and his fever was worse than ever before he drank deeply and often from the bucket at his head he had filled it and it was nearly emptied when about two in the morning the fever left him and he fell asleep in the gray dawn he was awakened by a curious sound not far away a splashing of water he turned his head to see two glaring eyes within a foot of his face a great beast lapping the water in the bucket by his bed thor gazed in horror for a moment then closed his eyes sure that he was dreaming certain that this was a nightmare of india with a tiger by his couch but the lapping continued he looked up yes it was still there he tried to find his voice but uttered only a gurgle the great furry head quivered the sniff came from below the shining eyeballs and the creature whatever it was dropped to its front feet and went across the hut under the table thor was fully awake now he rose slowly on his elbow and feebly shouted shy at which the shining eyes reappeared under the table and the gray form came forth calmly it walked across the ground and glided under the lowest log at a place where an old potato pit left an opening and disappeared what was it the sick boy hardly knew some savage beast of prey undoubtedly he was totally unnerved he shook with fear the sense of helplessness and the night passed in fitful sleep and sudden starts awake to search the gloom again for those fearful eyes and the great gray gliding form in the morning he did not know whether it were not all a delirium 
yet he made a feeble effort to close the old cellar hole with some firewood. The three had little appetite, but even that they restrained, since now they were down to part of a chicken, and Corny, evidently he supposed they had been to Ellerton's and got all the food they needed. Again that night, when the fever left him weak and dozing, Thor was awakened by a noise in the room, a sound of crunching bones. He looked around to see dimly outlined against the little window the form of a large animal on the table. Thor shouted. He tried to hurl his boot at the intruder. It leaped lightly to the ground and passed out of the hole, again wide open. It was no dream this time, he knew, and the women knew it too. Not only had they heard the creature, but the chicken, the last of their food, was wholly gone. Poor Thor barely left his couch that day. It needed all the querulous complaints of the sick women to drive him forth. Down by the spring he found a few berries and divided them with the others. He made his usual preparation for the chills and the thirst, but he added this. By the side of his couch he put an old fish-spear, the only weapon he could find now the gun was useless, a pine-root candle, and some matches. He knew the beast was coming back again, was coming hungry. It would find no food. What more natural, he thought, than take the living prey lying there so helpless. And a vision came of the limp brown form of the little fawn borne off in those same cruel jaws. Once again he barricaded the hole with firewood, and the night passed as usual, but without any fierce visitor. Their food that day was flour and water, and to cook it Thor was forced to use some of his barricade. Lou attempted some feeble joke, guessed she was light enough to fly now and tried to rise, but she got no farther than the edge of the bunk. The same preparations were made and the night wore on, but early in the morning... Thor was again awakened rudely by the sound of lapping water by his bed, and there, as before, were the glowing eyeballs, the great head, the gray form relieved by the dim light from the dawning window. Thor put all his strength into what was meant for a bold shout, but it was merely a feeble screech. He rose slowly and called out, Lou, Margat, the lynx! "'Here's the lynx again!' "'May God help you, for we can't,' was the answer. "'Shy!' Thor tried again to drive the beast away. It leaped onto the table by the window and stood up growling under the useless gun. Thor thought it was going to leap through the glass as it faced the window for a moment, but it turned and glared toward the boy, for he could see both eyes shining. He rose slowly to the side of his bunk, and he prayed for help, for he felt it was kill or be killed. He struck a match and lighted his pine-root candle, held that in his left hand and in his right took the old fish-spear, meaning to fight. But he was so weak he had to use the fish-spear as a crutch. The great beast stood on the table still, but was crouching a little as though for a spring— its eyes glowed red in the torchlight. 
its short tail was switching from side to side and its growling took a higher pitch thor's knees were smiting together but he leveled the spear and made a feeble lunge toward the brute it sprang at the same moment not at him as he first thought the torch and the boy's bold front had had effect it went over his head to drop on the ground beyond and at once to slink under the bunk this was only a temporary repulse thor set the torch on a ledge of the logs then took the spear in both hands he was fighting for his life and he knew it he heard the voices of the women feebly praying he saw only the glowing eyes under the bed and heard the growling in higher pitch as the beast was nearing action he steadied himself by a great effort and plunged the spear with all the force he could give it it struck something softer than the logs a hideous snarl came forth the boy threw all his weight on the weapon the beast was struggling to get at him he felt its teeth and claws grating on the handle and in spite of himself it was coming on its powerful arms and claws were reaching for him now he could not hold out long he put on all his force just a little more it was than before the beast lurched there was a growling a crack and a sudden yielding the rotten old spearhead had broken off the beast sprang out at him past him never touched him but across through the hole and away to be seen no more thor fell on the bed and lost all consciousness he lay there he knew not how long but was awakened in broad daylight by a loud cheery voice hello hello are y'all dead lu thor margat he had no strength to answer but there was a trampling of horses outside a heavy step the door was forced open and in strode corny handsome and hardy as ever but what a flash of horror and pain came over his face on entering the silent shanty dead he gasped who is dead where are you thor then who is it lu margat corny corny came feebly from the bunk there and there they're awful sick we have nothing to eat oh what a fool i be said corny again and again i made sure you'd go to ellerton's and get all ye wanted we had no chance corny we were all three brought down at once right after you left then the lynx came and cleared up the hens and all in the house too well you got even with her and corney pointed to the trail of blood across the mud floor and out under the logs good food nursing and medicine restored them all a month or two later when the women wanted a new leaching barrel thor said i know where there is a hollow basswood as big as a hogshead he and corney went to the place and when they cut off what they needed, they found in the far end of it the dried-up bodies of two little lynxes with that of the mother, and in the side of the old one was the head of a fish-spear broken from the handle. End of section 9